Welcome to the Sharid Sedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Sharit Sedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Today, I want to talk about our children. And there are a few reasons why. First off, I was one, as were we all. Second, I hope to have some of my own sometime in the not-too-distant future. Third, I love teaching kids, and I always feel honored when the parents of our community entrust us with their learning. And last, kids. Everyone's talking about them, about what they can read, and about what they can be taught. So let me tell you about something that I noticed back as a kid, what I learned from. When I was really little, back in the ancient times before YouTube and TikTok and a thousand streaming services that altogether cost as much as a cable package, but that's another sermon. Back then, I watched a lot of PBS. So I'm told I watched a lot of cooking shows, which is just a nice person talking to you while they move around their kitchen and do things. Every once in a while, they take a bite of food and tell you how good it is. It really doesn't get old. Um, But obviously, Sesame Street and all that educational programming were were really great. Um, Now, obviously, as I grew up, I moved towards the slightly less educational stuff, a little more mature, like Dragon Ball Z or Pokemon. It's for the 90s kids out there. But it's the educational shows that really stuck with me, which is, of course, the point of education. And I did have to confirm this with my parents because I was too young to form that kind of memory, but I was apparently a pretty picky toddler when it came to what shows I wanted to watch. Here's an example. I would never watch Barney the Dinosaur. I simply refused. Now, I know it was cool back in the 90s to make fun of Barney for being annoying or insipid, but somehow, at the age of three, I could tell that the problem with Barney wasn't the purple dinosaur himself, but bad pedagogy. I'm sure the show was made by people who love children and genuinely wanted to teach them, and I am sure that we have folks who loved growing up on it, but here's my issue. Every problem the characters faced had to be solved happily and calmly. And that isn't how the world works. Life is difficult. There are conflicts and disappointments. But in Barney's world, no one cried, no one yelled. Every problem had a solution that you could find within a half hour. 
Now, I know this might seem obvious to say, but the world of Barney the Dinosaur simply didn't reflect reality. And, and now before you tell me, well, it's just a kid's show, first off, that makes it more important that it is as authentic and useful as possible. And second off, look at the example of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Hearing some assent, that's good. I am sure I am not alone in my respect for Fred Rogers in everything he did as an educator, as a producer of children's programming, a musician, a puppeteer, even as a religious leader. Mr. Rogers gave very young people, like myself back then, tools that they could use when things didn't go the way they wanted, when feelings felt unmanageable, or when they were afraid of what they didn't yet understand. For example, he wrote a song assuring kids that they can't get sucked down the drain in the bathtub, which was a real concern. He got letters about it. Mr. Rogers would welcome children into his TV home, take a comfy cardigan out of the closet, put it on one sleeve at a time, and then no issue was off the table. Death, divorce, living with disabilities, racism. Fred Rogers believed that anything could be talked about with children. He once said, on the subject of teaching about death, to die is to be human, and anything human is mentionable, and anything mentionable can be more manageable, which is one I think we should all keep in our back pockets. And he taught us with the kind of gentleness that made it okay to feel whatever you were feeling and to know that your feelings were okay and that you were okay. There's something that he would sometimes sing, Robert, if you would. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your toys. They're just beside you. And that's a, enough of that. <laughs> but what if every kid should hear that? He was such a mensch. Now, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood wasn't a perfect place, nor was the land of make-believe. But for each problem that came up in an episode, Mr. Rogers talked it through with the young viewers like they were human beings, not small adults or babies. The show acknowledged how hard it can be to be a human being, and particularly a child, still learning to understand the world. I know I'm a better teacher and a better person because of what I learned from Mr. Rogers. Now, the reason I bring this all up is because, as you may have noticed, lots of people many in positions of power, are very concerned about how we should raise and teach our children and how we can keep our kids safe. Everyone wants children to be safe. Everyone feels pain 
when we know children are suffering. So it makes sense to have conversations about the best ways to go about building a safer world for them. Considering how vulnerable children are, it's something we adults owe to them, even though we may disagree about how best to do it. And whether we have children or don't or are trying really hard to have children, we all have children in our lives. Nieces, nephews, students, neighbors, fellow congregants. But I think our responsibility to the children in our lives and in our world is something we really should all talk about because our ancestors talked about it too. So, what does Judaism tell us we owe our children? The most famous list comes from the Babylonian Talmud in Tractate Kiddushin. And just a note, in this text, the rabbis were thinking about fathers to sons, but that's their worldview. We can expand on that a little bit. But here's what they say. A father's obligations with regard to his son are to circumcise him, to redeem him if he is the firstborn, to teach him Torah, to marry him to a woman, and to teach him a trade. So aside from the erasure of women except as wives to sons, it's a pretty good list. So let's break it down just a little bit. We're obligated to circumcise our sons, and I think that means more than just writing a check to the moil. It means bringing them into the covenant, all of our children. It teaches us that it's our responsibility to bring our children into communities which can guide them as they grow, celebrate their successes, and support them and their families through challenges. That has to start really young. So why not at eight days old? We are told to redeem the firstborn, pidyon haben, which back in the day would require payment to the priesthood in order to free the child from grueling servitude at the temple, which is maybe what some of our children feel today sitting at Yom Kippur services. I'm kidding. I hope. <laughs> maybe we could see this as a recognition that, in a way, we co-parent with God. God can be with us in all the ways we let God in, and that's a relationship that, as Jews we're commanded to share with our children. We have to teach our children Torah. It's pretty clear that the rabbis thought this was the number one priority. In another place in the Talmud, in Tractate Shabbat, we read that Jerusalem was destroyed only because school children were being interrupted in their learning. And we are told that they need to keep learning no matter what, even when the Messiah rolls into town. Like, hold on, finish the lesson first. And we're told that any city without a place for children to learn doesn't deserve to exist. So what does this look like for us? It can look like sending our children to our Amy Gail Buckman preschool or our Flom religious school, both wonderful places to make Torah learning happen. But it also means that each of us need to role model good Jewish values 
and help our children become self-motivated learners who go on to be lifelong learners. We marry them off to a partner. We raise our children in a way that helps them form healthy, loving relationships so they can begin to build their own family and community, however that looks. And we teach them a trade, helping to nurture their strengths so that they can live happy and purposeful lives. So now I wanted to share what that looks like to me. I believe a society that cares about its children uses all available resources to make sure that children and their families are lifted out of poverty and that they have nourishing food to grow on. I believe that a society that cares about its children keeps children safe from violence through any means possible so that our kindergartners never need to go through the trauma of an active shooter drill or back to school shopping for a bulletproof backpack. I believe that a society that cares about its children makes sure that children are taught to appreciate diversity and love their fellow human being so that each of them can grow up to be exactly who they're supposed to be. That's what I believe and how I read what our tradition asks of us. And you might see the problems or the solutions differently. That's how living in a shared society works. But I think we can all agree that we should be aiming for whatever makes our children safer, healthier, happier, and kinder, which in turn makes our society safer, healthier, happier, and kinder. These are the kinds of constructive conversations we really should be having. But that's not what's happening in some places. When I turn on the news, I hear people talking about what books we should take out of school libraries and what flags we should take down from their classrooms and what teachers should be fired because of who they are or how they present. How would any of these changes make our children safer? It's something I wonder about a lot because it's confusing to me to make this a priority, to keep our children in the dark about slavery, about gender identity, or even the Holocaust, all the more so while American children are shot and starve. The rabbis tell us that children learning keeps the world turning. They should be learning more and not less. That's how they become the kind of well-rounded, thoughtful, and empathetic grown-ups we hope for them to be. So you might think that, as a rabbi, that I agree with my colleagues in the Talmud, that passing down Torah is the most important responsibility we have to our children. I actually think the most important responsibility is what the rabbis relegated to a minority opinion. You see, I left one last obligation off the list because I wanted to save the best for last. The list concludes. And some say a father is also obligated to teach his son to swim. It's a little surprising. But it makes sense. If someone falls into a river, 
they need to be able to keep themselves afloat because there won't always be someone around to rescue them. And Earth's surface is 71% covered in water. Our children are going to come across water. We need to ensure that they will be able to help themselves when they're in danger. It's about keeping them alive. But it's not just about safety. It's also about independence. I think we all know that our world can be mystifying sometimes. We're faced with setbacks, disappointments, and sometimes deep despair. We've got to give our children the tools they need to make it through the dark times, to know that there is light on the other end of the tunnel. We can't ignore the fact that suicide and self-harm are on the rise among children and adolescents, which is really bad. It, it's one of the worst things that can happen. We want our children to live. And we also want them to feel free and safe as they explore the full spectrum of experiences that life has to offer them. Our young people are on that very difficult journey to figure out who they are in the world, how they see themselves, and how they want to be seen by us. Shouldn't we be giving them the confidence they need to be the unique, beautiful creation that God made them? Shouldn't they have the chance to swim free? Well, it seems to me that taking away sources of learning, cutting off honest communication, forcing our children to hide parts of who they are, that isn't teaching them to swim. It's teaching them to be afraid of the water. But we can't keep our kids away from the water there's water everywhere out there. And as much as we may want to, we can't control everything that happens or the kind of world that we're leading our children into. When our children face unknowns, solve problems with our own wisdom, or try on a new self to figure out what feels most authentic, that's when they're best fulfilling our hopes for them. They're showing us they're ready to make their own decisions. They're showing us that they can swim and not sink. And let me tell you something. If we aren't teaching our children to swim, we're setting them up to sink. When we lie about history, they're going to feel betrayed when they find out the truth. When we keep them in the dark, on the ways that their bodies are growing and changing, we leave them vulnerable to predators and bad actors who would take advantage of them. When we see our children becoming who God made them and tell them to get back in the closet, we're holding them underwater. Why can't we let them breathe? And our children need to breathe, and they need to learn, because what our children learn will define everyone's future, and everyone's future is everyone's responsibility, which means 
we are all responsible for all of the children that are in the care of our community. When children suffer, it's on us. When children would rather leave this world than live in it, that's on us too. Our children need us to love them for who they are instead of bullying them into who we want them to be. Our children need us to answer their curiosity with kindness instead of callousness or silence. Our children need us to be our best selves so that they have space to become their best selves. I'll end today with a quote from Janusz Korszak. Janusz Korszak, real name Henrik Goldschmidt, was a Jewish educator in Poland. During the Shoah, he served as principal of an orphanage in the Warsaw Ghetto, making sure that his kids felt loved and taken care of in history's darkest moment. When given the opportunity to rescue himself multiple times, Janusz Korzak chose to stay with his students and climbed into the cattle car with them that would take them all to Treblinka holding their hands all the way. He wrote, Children are not the people of tomorrow, but are people of today. They have a right to be taken seriously and to be treated with tenderness and respect. They should be allowed to grow into whoever they were meant to be. The unknown person inside each of them is our hope for the future. On this day of atonement, before the gates close, let us ensure that everything that we do works towards nurturing that precious hope. Gamar Hatimatova, may we be sealed for goodness in the book of life. Good Yantef.